0: Well, it is close enough to New Year's to give one more uh, New Year's exhortation. This from Henry David Thoreau. Uh, Ironic for me because I was a microbiology major and I didn't read uh, that much in high school, so I'm catching up. Thoreau in Walden quotes a Chinese poet saying, Renew thyself completely each day, do it again and again. And forever again. Thoreau is saying that if you want to live, if we want to live lives of meaning and purpose and beauty and satisfaction, then it doesn't happen by just like going with the flow all the time. It's not that we can't be spontaneous ever, but there is a tide that takes us off course. And there is a need for the maturing person, for the person living a worthwhile life to renew ourselves completely each day forever and ever. So we intuitively do that in all kinds of ways. Maybe around the last week of December and into this week, you thought about your health habits, your eating habits, your drinking habits. I know a bunch of us that needed to like Maybe you not drink so much in January, you know, like re-correct back. And maybe you do that for your social patterns. Life's so busy in Silicon Valley, and it's such a depersonalized culture. For however long God has you in this space, are you on a trajectory towards relationships which you will be glad for and are soul-satisfying? And of course, since we're in the world of church, it shouldn't surprise you that I want to urge us all to consider whether we are on a trajectory towards a vibrant spiritual life. Are you just coming here? Is there any sense in which you're just going through the motions? Has some of us plateaued or worse yet, fallen off into a ditch and haven't really gotten ourselves out of that ditch and haven't even told other people about it? What changed? Why we renew in order to live a a more soul-satisfying life. In the context of our church, we talk about four C's to help us think about what a healthy life of discipleship is, what a healthy spiritual journey consists of. So we talk about communion, community and contribution, and commission. Communion Being our life with God, are we drinking of God? Are we resting of God? Are we hearing the voice of God? Community and contribution. Are we tracking towards relationships that are satisfying? Are there things that we need to repair? Is it possible that in the course of this last year, you fell into a pattern of disrepair in some relationships that actually matter to you? And before you could receive anything else good, you need to go back and say something that is a healing word. And commission is about our relationship with the world. In what way is God sending us into the world to be an extension of his healing, reconciling love? All four of these C's are important for us to think about, but as we launch into 2023, I would like us to give attention as a community to our commission value, to what it means for us to be sent into the world. I think we could all agree that this is a season of human life in which we are so aware of the suffering that's in the world, all around the world and in our own locations and sometimes in our own hearts, but the pandemic which we are suffering under, keeps us increasingly cut off from one another. Let's pray as we enter into this year that God would open the doors, unchain us, and send us out to play our part in seeing his love extended to people who are hurting. I love the promise in John chapter 7, verse 38, which echoes the theme of the song that Kevin just led us in. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Maybe you've been out uh, to some beautiful place where there is a river like this. And so maybe you have an internal feeling of the power or the refreshment or the beauty and life. It comes from a river that's flowing with power. Jesus said that if we are connected to him, if we are in tune with his Holy Spirit, that should be us. That is available to us. We are sent into a dry and thirsty world with hearts that overflow. And when we are cut off from a sense of commission a sense that we are sent out into the pain of the world. The church becomes something distorted. It looks more like a country club. It speaks of God's love, but only cares for a small circle of people. So I would love your help in making sure that that is not us. And that requires not just putting on good services, That requires our prayers and our investment in the community around us. So we're going to return to the Gospel according to John, the fourth book of the New Testament. And as we go through these stories, again, we'll be asking ourselves, what does it mean to understand Jesus as we face the world around us? John 8, chapter 2, it says that at dawn, he, being Jesus here, at dawn, he appeared again, In the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, the story's not done here, but I'll just comment briefly and say, you know, what an incredibly ugly confrontation is represented in John chapter 8. Religious leaders storm a temple. The temple, a place of worship, a place of awe, beauty, wonder, learning about God. That's what Jesus is doing. These religious leaders, Pharisees and teachers of the law, they bring a woman and they make her stand in the group. I wonder if you could feel how exposing that must have been. We don't know a lot about this woman. We know that she is an adulteress. They say they've caught her in the act of adultery It's also apparent, if one thinks about the story carefully, that she's being used as a pawn. After all, the man is not brought forward. So this is, I think we would say, a clear portrait of patriarchy in motion. You know, patriarchy, that word that describes uh, systems or cultures that are made to privilege men to advance the cause of male power. She's being made a scapegoat. She's being made to stand before the group in verse 3. She's publicly humiliated and threatened. But their accusation is going in multiple places. The accusation of these religious leaders is going towards this humiliated woman. And the story tells us that the accusation is going towards Jesus as well. They're looking for a way to trap him. So we pick up in the other half of verse 6, they're uh, asking him, what do you say about what we should do to this woman? Should we indeed stone her? And in the second half of verse 6, it says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who, began, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I wonder if you could place yourself in this story and feel the tension and mystery of what it is that was going on in that space. Jesus stands in the midst of these violent energies. They want to stone this woman. They want to trap him. In verse 7, it says, they kept on questioning him. They are pressing in. The aggressive energy is unrelenting. And in the midst of this, unrelenting energy, I find it impressive and fascinating that Jesus has the capacity not to react, but to slow things down. In the midst of this aggressive energy, he kneels and writes on the ground. Maybe you know what I'm talking about when I talk about swirling aggressive energy, Maybe you've been in a conflict. Maybe you've even been in a conflict with somebody that you love. And there is that sort of like energy in which we feel threatened. There's that energy in which it feels like, I want to defend myself and accuse back. Any of us who've ever been in a marital conflict, <laughs> you know, know it's like, sometimes it's like, you know, you shouldn't say something and yet you want to say something. We are lured into the aggressive, conflictive energy. And so often we make things worse. And then in retrospect, you realize how much pain you have caused by opening your fat trap. <laughs> I'm not looking at anyone out there in particular. just want to say, Jesus avoids all of that. Jesus has an uncommon strength, an uncommon wisdom, an uncommon perceptivity about what is actually going on and what it takes to bring peace that lasts. He slows everything down. Who knows how long he slowed things down for, but he slowed down long enough for wisdom to arise in his heart and in his mind. And the expression of that wisdom with the appropriate tone and energy has power to scatter the darkness. And this woman is saved. It is a master class in diffusing the energies of darkness. I speak of the energies of darkness here because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is clear that there are dark powers at work in all of our human conflicts. I wonder what you think about that, this idea of dark powers, the whisperings of darkness at work in human conflicts. I know some of us are sold on that idea. You think, yeah, isn't that kind of basic Christianity? (laughs) And I know others of us feel a little more mixed and just feel like, I'm a modern person living in the 21st century. Do I really believe in dark voices going on? But I want to suggest to you that if you want to take Jesus and the Gospel of John seriously, you have to take other worldly powers into account. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is concerned not just about human abusers, though he's certainly concerned about that. He's concerned about Satan, which means accuser. There are accusing voices, luring human beings into the participation of lies and destruction and manipulation. Later on in John chapter 8, Jesus speaks of the father of lies. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil in the gospel of John destroys, manipulates, dehumanizes by accusing. And these religious leaders are the puppets doing the accusing on behalf of this spiritual energy. And even though some of us may not be sold on that as a dynamic that's actually going on in the world, I want to suggest that those who cannot discern The dark power in the world that energizes our conflicts, those who cannot discern that power will always be duped into participating in that power. We will be blind. In the gospel, Jesus comes to rescue us from every form of darkness, and he alone has capacity to diffuse it. In another text in the gospel, Jesus says that he's like a mother hen who spreads out his wings to protect his young ones from the fiery violence at work in the world. What we see that is beautiful about Jesus in this text is manifold. He is wise, he's humble, he's strong. But at the center of all of that, I want to declare Jesus as the person of passion. You know, when we think about passion, we think about someone who's just like, Are pumped up, they're on fire, you know, and Jesus, I think we could say he's pumped up and on fire. But when we speak of Jesus in the Gospels being a person of passion, primarily what we're talking about is his suffering. That Jesus saw the works of darkness afflicting people with accusation and condemnation. And rather than casting accusation and condemnation back in the other direction, Feeding that momentum, he inserted himself. He received the fierce violence of the world in his physical body and thereby extinguished it. And at the end of John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus makes this mysterious statement where he says, Before Abraham was, I am he claims an eternal title for himself. And by uh, analogy, I think we could say that what John chapter 8 is trying to present to us is the reality that Jesus is eternally present with us to insert himself into situations of accusation, condemnation, and destruction to protect people who are suffering. The devil is always at work to accuse and destroy in all our circumstances. And Jesus, the great I am, eternally present with us to absorb violent energies that we might experience his protective merciful love and that we might be those people in the world who embody that protective merciful love on behalf of every person who is suffering in darkness. Now, I said at the beginning of this message that we're talking about commission in this season. In what way is it that God has sent us into the world to embody his love? One word Christians use to describe our commission to represent his protective love is the word evangelism. We are sent in the world to be good news, that people who feel accused and condemned, we're sent into the world to embody the reality that God is present not to condemn, but to protect and to embrace. Evangelism. Some of us have an allergy to that word. sounds too much like sales. It yeah, sounds too much like manipulation. So for those of you who are new to the river, I just want to say, we want nothing to do with manipulation. And unless you're like a really natural salesperson, and that's just kind of the way you operate in the world, by all means, I don't want you to try to be a salesperson. My hope as we move into 2023 is that we hold this picture of John chapter 8 in our minds. That like Jesus, we see the suffering person. We take notice of people who are hearing voices of condemnation, whether they're hearing them in their own minds or whether they're hearing them from other people in the world around them, that we take notice and that we feel the compassion and passion of Jesus for them, and that we would be the people who risk to offer a cup of cold water to those who are thirsty. Brendan Manning, the former priest who lived in the last century, said that the heart enveloped in the tenderness of God passes that tenderness around indiscriminately making no distinction between the worthy and the unworthy. Do you feel that? The heart enveloped in the tenderness of God passes that tenderness around indiscriminately, whatever your job might be, wherever you're on your way to. That's what we do when we're in touch with the tenderness of God's love. You know, as a young adult... I felt condemned, not by religious leaders like in this story. I didn't grow up in a religious home and didn't have religious friends, so I was never afflicted by fundamentalism. You know, for those of you who felt like, oh, yuck, you know, it's like I, I didn't know any of that stuff. But I felt condemned in my secular context. I felt judged by other people as unworthy and not enough. I was always hearing this voice. Not, not cool enough, not smart enough, not athletic enough, not attractive enough, not, e- not enough, not enough to get in and not enough to belong. And I thank God for my friend Stuart who noticed that I was living as under a dark cloud, that he embodied the protective love of Christ by inviting me into a safe space. He invited me into his home. And his parents, who barely spoke any English, extended that protection to me by cooking for me. And they just expressing care, and they ultimately invited me into their church context. Which, let me say, and I mean this as a compliment, it was the most uncool church context ever. (laughs) I mostly slept in that church And then one day I literally woke up and found the presence of Christ in that church. That's what happens when just regular everyday people see those who are suffering and offer what little we have. So I wonder what it would be like for us as a church community if every single one of us were just in touch with the people around us who are suffering accusation, maybe a kid in your classroom who feels not good enough, not smart enough? Or someone on your work team or in your neighborhood? Maybe they're good enough professionally, but there's other things going on in their lives. What would it mean if we were all more attuned to not just what's going on on the surface, but what's going on on their inside? Later in the spring, Pastor Grace is going to lead a class called Alpha, so that's a safe space. It's intended for all of us who are here to invite our friends to explore the love of God in Christ. But that's not really the first step for most of us. Most of us need to simply cultivate a heart of attentiveness and a heart of love. Let me give us one practical way To do that, and I want to ask us to practice this way every day this week and see if it catches on. This prayer uh, is from the secular world of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And I choose this non-traditional pathway because as I talk to people in our church, I just want to say that you know many of us are struggling with being modern people that pray and believe that something is happening. And my experience in talking to my secular friends who are doing mindfulness-based stress reduction is that they believe that their meditation is making a difference in the world. And if they can believe that, how much more should we, who have a river of life? So let me say what this is, and I'll lead us in the exercise. The mindfulness-based, stress-reduction, loving-kindness meditation involves letting ourselves get quiet, letting ourselves sort of process all the things that are irritating and agitating us. Maybe there are some ways in which you even feel like the woman in the story. You feel under threat. You feel under some sort of voice of accusation. And then in that space, We slowly just say, you know, appropriating this in a Christian context, under the sheltering presence of God, may I be safe, may I be healthy, may I be happy, may I live at ease, a true ease, the ease of flowing in the power of the river that is the presence of God. If we had longer, you could say it for someone you're connected with who's suffering. Some of us have family members who are not well in this day. And we would pray that for them. May they be safe. May they be healthy. May they be happy. May they live at ease. And then for today, I want us to think of one person who, to the best of your knowledge, is living outside of the assurance that they are the object of God's delight and affection. And we'll pray those same prayers for them. Okay? So take a moment. We've been in teaching mode, so close your eyes and kind of let yourself be in a centered space. Take a couple of deep breaths. In the silence of this moment, let yourself, by the illuminating presence of the Holy Spirit, be aware of any ways in which you feel agitated or irritated. You might become aware of a voice that you hear that's a demeaning voice or a threatening voice. And I want to invite you, in the good of your sanctified imagination, to take the place of the woman in John chapter 8. Feeling the presence of Christ, his overshadowing, his interposing presence. Know his desire to take the arrows on your behalf. And maybe it would be helpful for you to repeat after me in just the quietest of whispers, under the sheltering presence of Christ. May I be safe. May I be healthy, of body and mind and soul. May I be happy, even in sorrowful circumstances. And may I live in the ease of being attached, yoked to the presence of Christ. And now think of just one person, neighbor, colleague, someone in your classroom, Think of one colleague who is under threat in some way, under stress. In your mind's eye, see Christ spread over them like a mighty shield. Let yourself feel his compassion for them, his passion to take the arrows for them. And repeat these phrases after me under the sheltering care of Jesus, the passionate one. May they be safe. May they be healthy in body, mind, and soul. May they be happy even in sorrowful circumstance. May they live in the ease that comes from knowing that your eye is upon them. God, thank you for your love ever-present, ever-passionate, ever-suffering to end our suffering. Help us to be awash in that love and to extend it generously and freely everywhere we go. We pray these things in the good, merciful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to close our time by inviting you to a brief time of processing. So there's some questions that will come up on the screen. You could turn in twos or threes. Just chat about what you see. If you feel inspired, one of you could pray at the end of it. Take a look around you. If there's someone sitting alone, extend a heart of hospitality for them to join you. And then in a few minutes, Kevin will come up and lead us in worship.